What's going on, you guys? Welcome back to the Home Field Podcast. So in today's episode, we're going to go over a few topics. So we're going to recap the Week 10 NFL games for the first part of the episode. After that, we'll cover a little bit about the Monday night matchup between the Vikings and the Bears. After that, we'll talk about the Masters a little bit. We'll talk about how Dustin Johnson was able to capture a green jacket and capture his second major in his PGA career this past weekend. And then to wrap it up, pretty much going to go over some of the trade rumors that have been circulating around the NBA. We do have some updates to report on, and we'll definitely see how the NBA is shaken up by the potential trades or the potential moves coming up in the NBA draft as well. Should be a fun episode, you guys. Hope you guys like the episode. And with all that said, let's get to it. Alright, so we'll start with talking about the Week 10 NFL games from this past Sunday. So first things first, got to start with the, in my opinion, the best game of the weekend, which was the Bills versus the Cardinals. Far and away the best game of the week. Uh, the Cardinals shot the Bills on a Hail Mary at the end of the game to win by the score of 32-30. to So, just to go back about, let's go back to about 30-35 seconds left in the fourth quarter. So, Josh Allen throws a potential game-winning touchdown to Stephon Diggs. And it was it was an excellent pass by Josh Allen. And not only that, Stephon Diggs was able to beat all-pro cornerback Patrick Peterson on the play. And Stephon Diggs came down with the catch and put the Bills up by the score of 30-26 to 26 with about 35 seconds left. And it seemed all but certain that it looked like the Bills were going to be able to get out of Arizona with a win and move on to eight and two. However, Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins had other plans in mind. And essentially with about eight sec eight to seven seconds left in the game, Cardinals snapped the ball. Kyler Murray runs around the backfield for a couple seconds and pretty much throws what I would consider like a fadeaway Hail Mary just along the sideline. Throws it about fifty five yards down to DeAndre Hopkins, and DeAndre Hopkins snatches it out of the air, gets a touchdown, and puts the Cardinals up two points with about two seconds left in the game. This catch by DeAndre Hopkins was just silly. He snagged it in triple coverage, and it was kind of funny because somebody took a, took a picture but zoomed in on all of the, the gloves that the guys were wearing, and the joke was that DeAndre Hopkins was wearing Jordan, Jordan gloves and the other two defenders that were trying to go for the ball to try to intercept it were wearing, were wearing Nike and Adidas gloves. But apparently Jumpman got the got the ball on that one and caught the, got the touchdown there. Just an absolutely incredible catch. I, the only time I've really ever seen another player come down with a catch like that in triple coverage was Calvin Johnson against the Bengals probably – I figure it's almost 10 years ago now when that play happened. But what a catch by DeAndre Hopkins. What a win by the Cardinals. They somehow pull out this win. And with that, you know, they move on to 6-3. and three. The, the Bills drop to 7-3. and three. All I know is this. If I'm the Bills' secondary coach, those three defenders 
that got dunked on by DeAndre Hopkins should be doing box jumps every day because they literally got dunked on by by D Hop. Just an incredible catch, an incredible game. I mean, hell, I was watching the game on my couch, and when DeAndre Hopkins caught that ball, I I jumped out of my couch like it was that incredible. It was that incredible of a play, one that I wasn't expecting, and I don't think a lot of people were expecting. I think at that point, I think the Bills had like a ninety nine point like eight to nine percent, like a ninety nine point nine percent chance to win that game, and somehow the Cardinals pull it out and get the win, and really are now battling for that top spot in the NFC West with the Rams and the Seahawks at this current moment. So we'll see how it goes for them. But up next, we'll move on to the Sunday night matchup that we had last night. It was the Patriots versus the Ravens. And surprise, surprise, the Patriots win by the score of 23-17. to Kind of an upset here. I picked the Ravens in this game, but I got to be honest at the same time, as a Pats fan, I'm glad that the Pats were able to get a win here. Obviously, this game was clearly affected by the conditions. Now, the the rain in the first half wasn't bad. It was definitely somewhat of a factor, but in the second half, it progressively got heavier. And in the fourth quarter, it was just essentially a downpour for most of the fourth quarter. And, and with that, there was definitely a focus by both teams to run the ball here just to kind of combat against the rain. But even despite that, I thought actually both quarterbacks were pretty effective throwing in the rain. You would think like, okay, if it's pouring down rain, you know, it's mostly going to be, it's going to be running the ball somewhere around, you know, 150 to 200 yards rushing. But no, Lamar Jackson ended up almost putting up 250 yards passing and still had two passing touchdowns. Now Cam only threw the ball 15 times, but he's still able to get a passing touchdown out of it. And it was just kind of a surprise that even despite the rain being quite a factor in the game that both quarterbacks were able to throw the ball fairly well in those conditions. But I thought the Patriots were able to run the ball a little bit more effectively than the Ravens. The Ravens still ran the ball pretty well, but I thought the Patriots were just a little bit better. They just ran with a little more force. I thought Damian Harris really stepped up for the Patriots. So this was his third hundred yard rushing game of the season. He's only behind a couple other running backs in the league. Derrick Henry has a couple more than him. There's a few other running backs that I'm just I'm missing off the top of my head, but Damian Harris has been very good for the Patriots so far and he he's just an explosive runner. He hits that gap hard and he can get you an easy 7-8 yard run when really he's if you're trying to get to the A or B gap, it may not be that big of a gap, but he'll be able to exploit that gap and turn something it turns nothing into something. So Really, at this point, if he keeps playing at this le- level, he could potentially be taking that number one spot for the running back position with Sony Michelle. Sony Michelle's obviously been hurt for the last couple of weeks, but they have a really good playmaker in, da- in Damian Harris right now. And like I said before, I thought Cam was effective when he needed to be. And really, somebody that stepped up last week against the Jets stepped up again. I thought Jacoby Myers was extremely effective. He was able to be a reliable target for Cam when he needed to be. And then Jacoby Myers threw a touchdown pass at Rex Burkhead. Now, Jacoby Myers was a former high school quarterback that turned into a wide receiver in college. And he's still kind of salty about the fact that when he was going from high school to college that they transitioned him out of the 
quarterback position into a wide receiver position, but he threw an absolute dime to Rex Burkhead to put them up, I believe, 14 to 10 at that point. It was just it was just a great throw by him, and it, it really did kind of get the Patriots going in the first half. So really good play on his part. So, you know, for the Ravens, I thought the Ravens had a decent game from Lamar. I thought Lamar had the best game that he could in those conditions. But to me, the issues that they were dealing with, they were dealing with some injuries on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, they've had some offensive line issues with some of the injuries that they've had. And just to kind of focus on the offensive line here, they just couldn't snap the ball correctly. Now, I know the excuse is it's raining and it's, it's a lot tougher to deal with a wet football than a dry one. But there were several plays where there wasn't a clean snap by the center, and it cost the Ravens. I remember there was like a fourth and one, fourth and two opportunity that the Ravens had. And essentially the Ravens had to eat it because of a bad snap that pushed the ball back 10 to 15 yards. And there were many times where Lamar Jackson kind of had to improvise on the fly because just the snap wasn't there and just had to kind of improvise and make something out of nothing. But outside of that one interception that Lamar Jackson had in the first half, that was a costly one for sure. I thought they played as well as they could in the conditions, but this is a tough, this is a tough loss for them. They're trying to stay. uh, They're trying to keep up pace with the Steelers at this point. Right now they're three games behind the Steelers. I just don't think they're going to be able to catch up against them. And, it doesn't help when the Ravens just took it in the teeth with injuries yesterday. And the the one in particular was tight end Nick Boyle suffered a significant knee injury. So he caught a pass, I want to say early in the second half. I don't remember which quarter it was. Turns around and the defender just kind of hit him in a, in a, in a weird spot when he was kind of turning up field and just, just rolled his knee and probably tore a couple of ligaments in his knee. It wouldn't surprise me if he tore his ACL in the process. Just just a tough day for the inju- on the injury front for the Ravens. I think the Pagers, for the most part, came out of that game fairly unscathed as far as injuries go. So moving forward for them, that'll be, that'll be key to kind of keeping the guys on the roster that they have and not losing any more guys to injuries. But as it stands right now, the Patriots are 4-5. and five. They're still alive in the playoff race somehow, some way. If they had lost this game, they would have essentially been out of the race, but they're still in it. And the Ravens right now, they gotta they gotta find something because they're six and three and they're losing ground in the AFC North. Now they're still gonna be a playoff team, but there's definitely some issues on the offensive side of the ball with this team. And Lamar has definitely stated in the last week or so that they need to be addressed and, and dealt with. So we'll kind of see how it goes with the Ravens. So up next, we got the Rams versus the Seahawks. So the Rams won by the score of 23-13. to Now, honestly, I thought this would have been a high-scoring game just because both defenses kind of do have their issues, especially the Seahawks. But both of the defenses in this game made their presence felt. The Rams' defense stepped up big throughout the entirety of the game. They forced three Seattle turnovers, and all three of those turnovers were from Russell Wilson. And not only that, they were able to get pressure on Russell Wilson. They sacked him six times yesterday. And the Rams' corners came to play. For the most part, they were able to keep Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf in check. DK Metcalf only had two catches for 28 yards, and Jalen Ramsey was really the the primary defender on DK yesterday. And Jalen played 
one of the best defensive games that I've seen him play in a long time. So he he definitely stepped up for him. He definitely stepped up for them. And as far as the Rams offense goes, I thought Jared Goff was solid yesterday. I, you know, outside of the one fumble that he had when Jamal Adams stripped him, I thought I thought Goff was really good, especially when when they were running those play action passes. It seemed to me that he was in a decent rhythm when Sean McVay was dialing up those play action passes, and he was fairly efficient whenever they ran those plays. Not only that, I thought the Rams running backs, now the Rams kind of have a running back committee here. So with three players in the, with the names of Cam Akers, Malcolm Brown, and Daryl Henderson, they didn't put up a lot of yards, but they were responsible for scoring all of the Rams offensive touchdowns yesterday. So good on all three of those players for stepping up and making an impact. And to kind of flip it on the Seahawks here, I thought the Seahawks had chances in this game. And the defense didn't play as, as bad as I thought they would. But just too many costly mistakes. I thought Russell Wilson had a bad game, just plain and simple. And he was responsible for all three of those turnovers, like I said earlier. It, the one in particular that, that got me was the first one, where he throws an interception, I want to say near the end of the first half. And the, and the Seahawks are driving. They're, they're about to be in the red zone, potentially to get at least a field goal or a touchdown. Russell Wilson steps up in the pocket, is running towards the line of scrimmage, and you you might be thinking that he's just gonna try to get try to get the first down, set them up for good position, and he he does this jump pass towards the corner of the end zone, and it ends up in an easy interception. Just I thought Russell Wilson was playing too much hero ball there, and it cost him. So there were some other turnovers that he had. He had he fumbled a snap, and then. There was another interception that he had later in the second half that cost them. So I think for this I think for Russell Wilson moving forward, I think you have to play to your strengths and not try to just play hero ball like he did against the Rams yesterday. I think in some sense it cost him the game yesterday. And it's gonna be interesting to see it's gonna be interesting to see how Russell Wilson bounce back bounces back from this. I imagine he will, but this is a game that I thought Seattle needed to have to kind of create some distance in the NFC West. But as it stands right now, the Seahawks and the Rams are are at 6-3. and three. And it's, currently, there's a three-way tie in the NFC West. So it's going to be really fun to see how these next couple weeks goes to see which team really starts to, to gain some separation as far as the NFC West goes. It'll definitely be fun to watch. So up next, we got the Bucks versus the Panthers. Buccaneers smashed the Panthers yesterday by the score of 46 to 23. This game was really a tale of two halves. I thought the Panthers played pretty well in the first half, but they completely fell apart in the second half and the Bucs took full advantage of it. Really outside of the first possession that, that the Bucs had where they fumbled the ball, I think um Ronald Jones fumbled that fumbled the ball in the first possession of the game for them. And then after that, they proceeded to score on every single drive after that until the end of the game. I thought Brady was sensational against Carolina, and honestly, he needed to be after that dre- that dreadful performance that he had against the Saints last week. So he put up a nice three uh, passing touchdown day. He also got a rushing touchdown as well, threw for 340 yards. Great day by him. But honestly, I think the man of the day on the Bucks offense was Ronald Jones. So early in the second half, I thought Ronald Jones really broke the game open with a 98-yard rushing touchdown. And as it stands right now, it's the longest offensive play in franchise history for the Bucks. 
and then after that, it really seemed like Carolina lost all the wind out of their sails and, and just couldn't really get it back together after they gave up that 98-yard touchdown to Ronald Jones. I, I believe that Teddy Bridgewater got picked off by Jason Pierre-Paul. So, And then after that, the Bucks were able to score on that possession after the interception, and then they snuffed out a fake punt by Carolina. And then they found themselves in a two-possession hole that they couldn't really dig themselves out of. And really just the Bucks put it on them after that point. And the same thing happened in the fourth quarter as well. So as it stands right now, the Bucks moved to seven and three. Panthers moved to three and seven. Bucks really they're really comp- their only competition in the NFC South at this point is the Saints. So really at this point, just kind of build on the momentum that they got from the Panthers win and we'll kind of see where it goes from there. The Panthers may be three and seven, but I still like this team. I like what Teddy Bridgewater has done with this team. They are competitive in the games that they've been. It's just some of these games, they just can't pull out wins. And then yesterday, it just, just didn't work out well for Carolina. And we'll see how Teddy Bridgewater is for the next couple of weeks. He did have, I think he got an MCL sprain in this game, but I think he's only listed as day-to-day. So I don't think it's going to be that big of an issue moving forward for the Panthers. So up next, we've got the Bengals versus the Steelers. So Bengals, they're definitely a tough team as far as a divisional foe for the Steelers go, but the Steelers beat them down yesterday. Steelers won by the score of 36 to 10. Really just a one-sided affair here. I thought the Bengals would have put up more of a fight, but the Steelers are just head and shoulders above them. All around, I thought the Steelers had a great day uh, offensively. Big Ben had a had over 330 yards passing, had four touchdowns. Deontay Johnson had a very nice day, hauling in six catches for over 100 yards and a touchdown. And the Steelers' defense once again showed out, so they were able to force two fumbles, and they sat Joe Burrow four times. And also, they just didn't allow the Bengals to make any third-down conversions. So the Bengals were 0 for 13 were 0 for 13 in that department. Just really, the Bengals couldn't get any consistency on the offensive side of the ball going. And... The score shows they were only able to put up, what was it, 10 points? Yeah, they they just couldn't really get it together. And in large part, it was because of the Steelers' defense. So as it stands right now, the Steelers are off to a 9-0 start. This is the best start that they've had in franchise history. And they just continue to roll. They've, they've played against some decent competition the last couple weeks. And their schedule does get a little bit easier. They do have some tough games coming up in about three or four weeks from now, but they could potentially go 10, 11 and 0 before they might suffer a loss, but they're just on a roll right now. And this team, they have confidence right now on both sides of the ball. And it, they're definitely going to need that going into the later parts of November into the early parts of December, but Steelers are definitely on a roll right now. So definitely a team to pay attention to in the AFC for sure. So up next, we got the 49ers versus the Saints. So the Saints win an easy one here, 27-13. to I kind of thought that the Saints would have won this game by halftime, but the 49ers hung around in this game. And the Saints got off to a slow start. They finished strong. Now, the only thing with this game with the Saints is that they did lose Drew Brees to a rib injury, and that is really the main story here. So as of now, we don't know the extent of how serious uh, Drew Brees' injury was so we do know that it wasn't it was a rib in, it was a rib injury but 
there's a moderate level of concern around the Saints organization with Breeze right now because he wasn't able to return in the second half of the game. Um, depending on how bad the injury is, the Saints are probably going to rest him for a week or two. They're probably going to put Jameis in there. Wouldn't be surprised if they mix in Taysom Hill between the both of them. Now, unless he actually broke his ribs, then it's a complete then it's a completely different it's a completely different story. If he broke his ribs, then he's probably going to end up on IR, and the Saints are going to have to tread water for the rest of the season. If that is the case, we'll probably figure out more as the day goes on with Drew Brees and his injury, but. The story really here is Drew Brees' status moving forward. So the Saints are definitely going to need him if they're going to make an impact in the playoffs this year. It would just suck to see him go down for the season with broken ribs, but I imagine even if that is the case, he'll probably fight through it. So up next, we got the Jaguars versus the Packers. Packers win a close one by the score of 24-20, to and I think I'm going to speak for most Packer fans here. This game was probably a little too close for comfort for them against a pretty bad team. I really thought similar to the Packers, uh, to the, excuse me, to the Saints game, I thought the Packers would have wrapped this game up by halftime. Like I said, the Jags are not a good team, but give the Jags credit though. They may only have one win on the season, but they played tough and they were competitive all the way until the end of the game. Now, I thought Aaron Rodgers and the offense, they didn't have the best day, but they did enough in the end when they needed to to get a lead late in the game. Moving forward, they just got to li limit the turnovers. They did play sloppy, and they kept the Jags in it for the most part of the day. So definitely something that the Packers are going to have to address moving forward because they do have a tendency to play down to their competition, and that definitely showed in this game. But as it stands right now, the Packers move on to 7-2, and two, and the Jags move to a 1-8 a, a and eight record. And like I said, I've said it multiple times, it's just I, the Jags are just a bad team, and the record clearly shows that. So we'll move on to the Broncos versus the Raiders. So the Raiders absolutely smashed the Broncos yesterday by the score of 37-12. to The score may not show it, but this game was actually competitive in the first half, and then the Raiders just completely blew the doors off the Broncos in the second half. The big takeaway here was the Raiders' defense. The Raiders' defense was really able to make Drew, Drew Locke's day uncomfortable for some bad passes, were able to create some turnovers, and the Raiders took full advantage of it. So they were able to pick off it, Drew, Drew Locke four times, and then they added a fumble on top of it for five total turnovers. And those turnovers, they really set up the Raiders' offense for some nice, easy points, and the score showed by putting up 37 points. I thought Derek Carr was all right, but Josh Jacobs was really the man of the day for the offense, had 112 yards rushing, added two rushing touchdowns, Really solid performance on his part. Now, if you're a Broncos fan, it has to be frustrating watching Drew Luck just because there are flashes when he plays extremely well. And he has decent receivers to throw to, whether it's Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy is a solid target for him. And he can definitely thread the needle when he needs to. But the biggest thing with him is that he forces some passes into a lot of traffic, and it cost them yesterday. So... One interception in particular, they were in the red zone. And this was at the end of the first half, and he tried to thread the needle in really tight coverage. Ended up being an easy interception. And it really did cost the team because the team was only down by, I believe, three or four points going into the end of the first half. And even at worst-case scenario, 
if they don't intercept the ball, they're probably walking out of that's that drive with at least a field goal, if not a touchdown, if, if Drew Locke doesn't throw that one pass. So definitely, definitely frustrating to see him make a mistake there. It's just, um, it's going to be interesting to see how Drew, uh, Drew Luck, I'm, I'm saying Drew Luck thinking like it's Andrew Luck, but no, it's Drew Luck. We'll see how Drew Locke continues to improve. He's had his moments. It's just really inconsistent at this point, but we'll see if he's able to bounce back from this. So with the win for the Raiders, they move on to 6-3. and three. And with the Broncos, they move on to 3-6 and six after the loss. So up next, we got the Eagles versus the Giants. The Giants win this divisional matchup 27-17. Takeaway from this game is that the Giants were able to get up early, and they never let the Eagles take the lead from them. Now, the Eagles did get close, but the Eagles just couldn't take advantage of some chances that they had to get the lead. And the Giants really, I thought, had a decent performance from Daniel Jones. I thought his biggest accomplishment yesterday was not turning the ball over. He was able to extend some plays with his feet, and he ended up being the team's leading rusher with almost 70 yards on the ground. Not only that, they were able to get some decent production from some of the receivers like Darius Slayton, Golden Tate, uh, Sterling Shepard. So, and even Evan, even Evan Ingram had a nice had a nice day as well. Wayne Gallman Jr. on the ground had a nice day, added a rushing touchdown to his season total. And, and to be honest with you, I think the Giants can win games moving forward playing this way, as long as they play turnover free football. They're going to be they're going to be at least a, a, a team that at least stays above water at this point. I think at this point. They're not that great of a team offensively, but their defense is, is pretty solid. Their defense has kept them in a lot of the games this year. And that's despite the fact that they've lost some very close games. Their record may not show up, but this team does fight. They are competitive. It's just they've lost some really close games where they could have won them, and their record could be completely different than what it is right now. And then just to kind of talk about the Eagles here, I thought the Eagles had their chances. It's just... They couldn't capitalize on them. And I don't know if it's just me, but the Eagles had a lot of issues with their snaps yesterday. You know, there were multiple times where the snap was either low or off target. And even Carson Wentz, this happened in the first half, where he tripped over his own center's foot when he was trying to, I think, give the ball to, uh, I think it was uh, either Boston Scott or uh, Clement. I forget which running back it was. But... Definitely had some issues with the snap yesterday. And just as a whole, I think the Eagles are just frustrating to watch. I know they've had their fair share of injuries, which has definitely hurt them. But Carson Wentz needs to step it up, and the defense needs to get it together as well. It only seemed like a few weeks ago that the Eagles were a, were clearly the favorite to win the NFC East. And now that's kind of in doubt because the Giants are starting to surge in that division. The Giants are starting to look like a more cohesive team than the Eagles at this point. And if the Eagles aren't careful, they could put themselves out of the playoffs just because they've got some really tough games coming up for the next month. And in my mind, they needed to win this game to kind of keep distance from some of the other teams in the NFC East. But the Giants are really starting to make a move at this point. And they're in second place, and they could potentially take that number one spot in the NFC East if the Eagles are careful. So with the win, the Giants move to 3-7, and seven, and the Eagles move to 3-5-1. and one. So up next, we got the Chargers versus the Dolphins. So the Dolphins won this matchup, a score of 29-21. to Honestly, this game was just kind of weird, just because 
neither team could really get any momentum, excuse me, momentum for most of the game. I really thought that the turning point in the game was when Justin Herbert got picked off early in the fourth quarter. And after that interception, the Dolphins were able to take advantage of that turnover by converting it into a touchdown. And just to kind of focus on the Dolphins here, I thought the Dolphins were great in all three phases of the game. Their special teams stepped up big again. Their, their special teams has been outstanding the last month or so. And they showed up again with a big pump block early in the game that, that led to a touchdown. I thought the offense looked decent with Tua running it. And then the defense made the big plays when it needed to near the end of the game to get some separation from the Chargers. And Dolphins look good right now. They've won, I believe, five games in a row. They're currently 6-3. and three. They're only, I believe, one game back at the Bills for the top of the AFC East. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how that division shakes out for the rest of the season. Just to kind of focus on the Chargers here, though, I thought the Chargers had their chances. But I just, I really think that Justin Herbert interception hurt them big time because they were at least within striking distance to kind of take control of that game, just couldn't couldn't do it with that interception. It, the Chargers offense just really couldn't get into any rhythm. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams were largely held in check yesterday. And the run game just wasn't effective enough against the Dolphins defense. So, like I said earlier, the Dolphins move on to 6-3. and three, And with the loss, the Chargers move to 2-7. and seven. So up next, we've got Washington versus the Lions. So the Lions pulled out a very close win by the score of 30 to 27. Seemed like the like it seemed like the Lions were going to run away with this game. They were up 24 to 3 early in the, th in the third quarter, but Washington made a huge comeback in large part because of Alex Smith. So Washington was able to erase a 24 to 3 deficit. They tied it up 24 to 24 in the fourth quarter, but the Lions were able to get a win with a game-winning 59-yard field goal by Matt Prater. And overall, I thought the Lions played well in the first half, but they pretty much went on autopilot for most parts of the second half and damn near cost them the game. Matt Stafford had a pretty solid day, throwing for nearly 300 yards, added three touchdowns. And for, for Washington, I, I'll say this about Washington. I thought Washington had they had, a t they had a pretty good performance. I like the fact that they came back, that they didn't give up. I thought Alex Smith had a pretty solid day, despite the fact that this is his first start as a quarterback since suffering that gruesome leg injury a few years back. So he he had a nice day. I think he had the most completions in a game that he's ever had in his career, threw for almost 400 yards, and definitely kept the Washington football team in it. Just not enough here. So Lions end up getting the win. Then focus on the last game of the day here. This is this was kind of one of the earlier matchups in the day, though. So we got the Texans versus the Browns. The Browns won this one uh, by the score of ten to seven. Only a few things I'm going to say about this game was this game it rained hard and it rained all game. But despite that, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt teamed up for a great day on the ground. They combined for 230 yards, and Nick Chubb was able to get the Browns the the only touchdown that they had all day, and then. They were able, I believe that was in the fourth quarter. So that put them up by three. And just really, Houston really just couldn't get anything offensively going throughout the entire day, in large part because of the rain. But just really not much to talk about here. Just an ugly game, and really the weather did just make it that bad of a game. But with the win, the Browns moved to 6-3, and three, and the Texans moved to 2-7. and seven. So we'll focus a little bit on the Monday night matchup here. 
that pretty much will end all the Sunday games that we covered from yesterday. Um, for the the Vikings and the for the Bears game, I'm probably gonna pick the Vikings hit with the Vikings here. I just like what Dalvin Cook has been doing the last couple of weeks. He's been a man amongst boys, just absolutely taking that team over. I think as long as Kirk Cousins doesn't turn the ball over, they should win this game probably by a touchdown or so. It's just I just don't like watching the Bears offense. That Bears offense is just a nightmare to watch. And if they're able to get any sort of consistency on the offensive side of the ball, that'll definitely help. I just don't think it's going to happen. I just Nick Foles just cannot get it together. And you better be careful. Because if Nick Foles does not play well in this game, don't be surprised if, if you see Mitchell Trubisky in there. Would not surprise me at the least if Nick Foles plays bad that we see Mitchell Trubisky. So we'll see how it goes. But I got the Vikings winning this one. So And that pretty much caps off all of the Week 10 matchups in the NFL. So definitely some fun games. Really the, the standout game to me was that Bills versus Cardinals game. That was just an outstanding finish. Just just a great game. Just loved watching those te- those two teams compete. Really good teams. So up next, we'll move on to the Masters. So Dustin Johnson won the Masters yesterday. Just really an overall impressive performance from Dustin Johnson all four days at Augusta National. Capped off the weekend by shooting a final round 68, which correlates to four under par for the day. And for the entire tournament, he finished 20 under par which broke a tournament record at the Masters. That pre- The previous record was at 18 under par held by Tiger Woods and Jordan Spieth. But Dustin Johnson just looked outstanding this entire weekend, and he ended up winning the Masters by, I believe, five strokes. I believe the second-place golfer finished at 15 under. So with this win at the Masters, Dustin captures his second uh, ma- excuse me, he captured his second major in his PGA career. This is his first one since winning the U.S. Open in 2016. So, really good on him. I was really happy to see him. He did get a little bit emotional after he won it. And and not only that, I did see a video of his caddy getting emotional as well. So, really, really cool for Dustin Johnson to get to get a green jacket. Just to kind of focus on somebody else here, uh, Tiger Woods finished the tournament at one under par. And to be honest with you, it's kind of nuts that he finished the tournament under par because he had one hell of a hole on the back nine yesterday. So on the, the par three 12th hole, he shot a 10 on that hole. Just, just could not get anything right on that hole. But then after that, he proceeded to birdie the, the last five out of six holes to get him under par for the tournament. So I guess he was able to recover somewhat from that dreadful 12th hole, but at least Woods was able to get back to under par for the tournament. But really the story here is Dustin Johnson winning the Masters. Like I said, just an overall impressive performance by him. And we'll see what happens if the, if he can carry this either for the rest of the season or if he can carry this on into next year as well. So really the last part of today's episode is going to focus on the NBA. So the NBA, we've definitely had some some trade rumors. We definitely have had some updates in the last couple days. So we'll start with really the big news coming out of Houston. So apparently James Harden is trying to get out of Houston. And the rumor is, is that he's trying to team up with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. Now, if Brooklyn is somehow able to land James Harden, as far as I'm concerned, 
the Nets are going to probably overtake the Lakers as the favorite to win the finals this year. I mean, I don't know how you're going to stop that. If you're going to have potentially three Hall of Famers who can all shoot the ball with, who are deadly accurate as well, good luck to any defenses trying to stop that. Now, I don't know if, I don't know what's going to happen as far as the Nets. The Nets are going to have to send Houston some sort of package for James Harden because it's not just going to be draft picks that the Nets are going to send him. The Nets are going to send a few different players. I, I don't know anything as far as any, I haven't heard anything as far as any packages go for trade scenarios, but it is definitely heating up the rumors that James Harden could potentially be going to Brooklyn. We'll just kind of see how this marinates for the next couple of days. It would be interesting to see if Brooklyn and Houston were able to pull the trigger on this trade. If, End, if they end up actually coming to some sort of agreement on a trade. But yeah, Brooklyn would, I think, be the instantaneous favorite to win the finals at that point because you got a, you got a squad with Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving in your starting five. Man, good luck trying to stop that. Good luck. So some other news. This is really the only news that I kind of have to report on for the trades. So it's pretty much confirmed at this point that Dennis Schroeder is probably going to end up on the Lakers. It seems to, I think at this point there's going to probably be some some draft cap, capital moves as well. I don't know if Kyle Kuzma or Danny Green are going to be involved in this trade package for Dennis Schroeder going to the Lakers. We'll kind of see how that goes over the next couple of days. We'll, we'll, we'll get some clarity on that. But pretty much this move ensures that Rondo and Contavious Caldwell-Pope are probably on their way out of L.A. Rondo's already opted out of his player option. I believe KCP has already done the same. As it stands right now, I think the rumor is is that Rondo could potentially be going to either the Atlanta Hawks or the L.A. Clippers. I think it would be quite a move to just go to the, to go to the Clippers. You get to stay in L.A., and you get to compete for a title with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George that's depending if Paul George ends up staying in uh, LA with the Clippers. We'll see how we'll see how that we'll see how that moves forward. And as far as KCP, all I've heard at this point is that he's got some potential suitors going after them, uh, excuse me, after him. So, I don't know any specific teams, but I I've, I've seen some reports that there are several teams that could be interested in him and I think he, he's a very interesting player because he's a role player for sure. He's not, he's not going to get you 20, 25 points a game on a consistent level. But he can get you a solid 10 to 15 pretty much every game as long as he shoots his three well. If he, if he can do that, I think he'll be fine. So we'll definitely see what um, KCP's future holds for him. And, and pretty much those are really the only rumors that I've heard. I saw, I saw this little conspiracy on Twitter saying that Giannis may potentially be going to Miami just because to seventh year in the league, he just came off of his second MVP and they had the best record in the league last year. And they were comparing it to LeBron when he left Cleveland to go to Miami. LeBron essentially has those same factors that he basically LeBron had those same factors that Giannis has right now. And I guess the, conspiracy or the rumor is is that Giannis would go to Miami I, for me personally I would love to see Giannis go to Miami I think I, I think 
Miami at that point could really compete against any team in the East at that point. And I think they would have a, a, a legitimate big man. Now, I know they have Myers Leonard, but Myers Leonard is basically a role player. But if, if you put Giannis at the five, that team is going to be very difficult to stop because that team could potentially have Goran Dragic at the one. You could have Tyler Hero at the two, um, or Jimmy Butler at the two, Tyler Hero at the three, Bam Adebayo at the four, and then Giannis at the five. Now, I don't know if they would. Ab- I don't know if they would be able to keep all those pieces if they were going to go after Giannis. But if they were somehow able to retain most of their starting lineup and keep some of their role players like Kendrick Nunn and Duncan Robinson as well, that team could be a force to be reckoned with for sure if if they could pull a trade or pull off getting Giannis. That would just be incredible. But we'll definitely see how that goes over the next couple of days or weeks. So with that said, that'll pretty much wrap up the episode here. I want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. So really for the next episode, next Later this week, definitely going to talk about the... We're going to go over the AFC teams as far as the report card goes. We'll, we'll go down each team in each division, give them a grade, assess where they are, assess where they may be going to kind of finish off the season. And then probably next week, I probably won't do it the next episode, this next episode later this week. But next week, I'll probably do the same thing. I just I'll focus on the NFC teams. So same thing. We'll just assess where all those teams are and see where they go from there. Other than that, um, we'll probably have some NBA news over the next couple days just because the trade rumors are definitely starting to heat up. So there will definitely be some movement around the association for sure. And that's pretty much all I can think of, you guys. But like I said, thank you guys for tuning in and Appreciate all the support, whether it's listening to the podcast or watching some of the YouTube clips that I've put up. Definitely appreciate it. With all that said, you guys, take it easy.